We uh, there's not a rule that you have to do, use the three subs. You don't find us competitive. Um, he's he's the best left back in Canada, without a doubt. All right, everybody. Hello. Welcome back to the 49th episode of the Third Sub Podcast. And it's your co-host, Alexander Gange-Ruzik. I'm here. Um, I'm joined by Samuel Rowan, but this is actually after we recorded a special interview with AFC Curtis, where we talk all things Canadian Premier League after the Island game. So uh, obviously, uh, we since we didn't record the intro, Sam isn't here. It's just me. But Without further ado, we'll dive into it. It's a great interview, great chat with uh, Curtis. He's a very knowledgeable guy about the CPL, and we talked about the Island Games, the future of the league, what what we've seen so far, and it was just a great chat. So before we go, since uh, we'll leave uh, Curtis's outro as the official outro of this uh, episode, you can find me on Twitter at Alex Ruzik at BTSVinCity, BTSVinCity.com, and you can find Sam at, at, on Twitter at Samuel underscore rowboat and on 86 forever so without further ado thanks everybody and uh enjoy the interview all right so we're joined by afc curtis cpl expert youtube extraordinaire if you haven't if you haven't heard the guy of the guy you're gonna hear a lot about him now and uh you'll definitely want to check him out after this but thanks for joining us curtis to the show yeah, no problem. Thank you for uh, for the intro there. That's uh, I gotta put that on business cards. I think. Yeah. <laughs> hey, I mean, uh, that might be a, an idea worth investing in because, uh, I mean, it, as it comes to the Canadian Premier League, uh, if at least for at least when Sam and I were talking, like if there's a guy that we want to come on to talk CPL, like Curtis knows what's up. So, if you want if you want that sort of self promotion, I'll sign it on a card because uh, we're glad to have you. But, I mean, where do we start? I guess do we want to do we want to start at the end? Do we want to start at the final? Do we want to kind of... Well, actually, I've, I've got something I want, to, I want to butt in with here. Curtis, for, for the listener who maybe hasn't seen your videos before, I mean, I'm sure some people maybe come from following you and check this out, but if they're just listening to our podcast and haven't seen any of your content before, how did you get into doing the YouTube videos and... How did you kind of, you know, get so into CPL specific content for the person out there that's not familiar? Yeah, so um, kind of, kind of a, a weird story where you had to kind of just be at these right moments at the right times, and uh, it all started. So um, I, I've done schooling and I've done stuff for video work as well as radio work. Uh, I was working in radio at the time when it started, when I decided, I should say, to uh, to start my YouTube channel. Um, I've always wanted to do something like that um, in the past for a few years now. I just never knew what to do it about. And uh, I was actually doing an event. Um, it was Tim Horton's Day 2018, so June 6, 2018, which is the day that Valor was announced. And uh, I couldn't go to the announcement because it was in the afternoon and um, during the workday. And, uh, but I was working an event at Tim Horton's. And then uh, of, of all the Tim Hortons to go to, David Klanikin shows up with the officials and all that from the CPL. 
And I go up to him. And at the time, if I couldn't, I, I forgot how to pronounce his name. <laughs> so I went up to him and I was like, uh, excuse me, are you the CPL commissioner? And he's like, yeah, I am. And he with a big smirk on his face. And we started talking CPL for a few minutes. And uh, super nice guy, super knowledgeable, uh, has a clear vision for the league. And, uh, you know, I left that conversation, you know, wanting, you know, just talking to him. It, it made me feel like, you know, I wanted to do more for my league. You know, the CPL is my league. It's a Canadian league. It's for Canadians by Canadians. Um, and from there, I was just like, you know, what, what could I do with all my knowledge, or, you know, in any way, shape or form to, to help the league grow. And I always thought, you know, CPL or YouTube is something I wanted to do. CPL, you know, didn't really have, I don't think any YouTube coverage at the time. Um, back in 2018, there wasn't really coverage at all on the CPL of them when the clubs were announced, maybe that later that day there was, but then it'd be gone for a month to two months. And then that was about that fall 2018 when I kicked off uh, my YouTube channel. Yeah, well, that's that's certainly <laughs> that's a. I like the timing of the the Klanikin running, and it's good for the the, the promotion. Mm-hmm. You make a good point, is because I think we can all kind of agree that when it comes to the league promotion, there's obviously there's like two stages almost, or like three stages. There's like international market, which is a whole other story, but then there's fans in each individual city you want to reach, and then obviously big media and across the board like tv like sports net you want to reach and obviously reaching the fan in each city is huge and i think uh i think you've done a pretty 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 good job of that from what i've seen you got a very loyal following you got you got fans in each market and i mean just sam and i interacting with some of the cpl community they're awesome across <laughs> the board so hopefully uh as the league grows the community grows because it's nice just as he said to have a canadian league your own mm-hmm. league i mean MLS is fun to watch and all, but it's not really a Canadian venture. It's more like you feel like an outsider. You're like, what? You know, don't get the the full respect as Canadian teams. So, agree with you there. But I guess kind of we can jump right into the the term. I guess to start with a, a warm up. I mean, overall thoughts on the Island Games. I think maybe we can all agree it was a little shorter than we want all wanted it to be. But as a whole, forty days of just a lot of soccer, a lot of great soccer. What were your, your general thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I think it was, like you said, I mean, I wish it could be longer. I was really, really looking forward to seeing eight teams compete with 28 games and the new format that they're going to do in 2020. Um, I think, I know, I'm just happy we got any CPL soccer in 2020. You know, these players have to play. They, they must play. We must get some eyes on these guys so we can sell them to bigger leagues this winter. I mean, that's just, uh, just the facts. And so, you know, that some points I really believed, I was like, I don't know if we're going to have a season. And this was probably back in June, July. And I was like, you know, they say they are committed, but things can change. You know, we're still in the middle of the first wave. There's a second wave potentially coming, uh, come fall time. Could we pull this off? Um, you know, the CFL unfortunately couldn't, and uh, not saying that we're the same size as the, as the CFL, you know, in terms of money and TV contracts and all that. We're not the CPL, uh, that is. But, um, you know, uh, when it happened, I was pretty happy. Uh, the games in that short amount of time, I was kind of worried for the players um, just because I was like, there's going to be injuries. You just There's always injuries regardless, but it's going to be a huge increase of injuries going from <clears throat> um, some teams weren't even practicing a full 11 v 11 and practice until the week leading up to flying out there to PEI. Um, so 
that was that was crazy because you know you can be as fit as you want when you're working out in your in your apartment or your home but it's not the same as match fit and i, I think we I, I was pretty pretty pleased with the quality of play um i thought it was a lot better than even the mls's back tournament uh to be honest with you the overall game every single game on average um you know there was some mls games i fell asleep watching the cpl i i didn't fall asleep i don't think for watching any of them um but uh but no it was it was good good quality um i'm proud of the players proud of the coaches proud of the league for being able to put it together um yeah overall across the board i you know i give it an a just for just for happening in this whole craziness yeah so i know like early on in this show back in so we began in february i want to say as it feels like it's been about three years since that time but uh, you know, just before all of this kicked off. And then when COVID really hit full swing, we're looking for things to talk about on the show. We were saying like, man, this is an opportunity for the CPL to, you know, with Canada having a relatively good COVID situation, this is an opportunity for them one of the, to be one of the first leagues back and to like seize a global stage. And although that didn't happen, I still think that the, I'm glad that they took their time to get the format right and to make it safe for everyone to pick a good venue and, yeah, I, I have to agree with you. Really, all aspects were were pretty solid. And what was it? Was there only one nil nil the entire tournament? It was either one or two nil nils the entire tournament. Yeah. Which I mean, that, I think so. Yeah. That speaks to your point about the level of play across the board. But I'm curious, in terms of someone who's obviously got a background in video production in the kind of sports media field. What did you think of the overall like one soccer broadcast package, the the play by play, the the commentators, and what do you think like if you're you seem to be all about growing the league and making it better. So what are your thoughts on kind of that product and how they can continue to market and and improve it? Um I, I thought it was definitely better this year than last year. Um I like the magazine shows they have. Uh, there's a two of them there, Coast to Coast and One Nation. Um, I thought those were really good. I hope it continues the One Nation that is um, through the through the winter time with the European leagues now playing uh, again. Um, in terms of the broadcast quality, you know, I thought it was good. Now there was a few things. Um, so I was watching on my One Soccer app um, at my place. I don't have cable. I just stream stuff. And um, and so I there's a few games there. The first game for sure, and a few other ones where the stream would be kind of glitchy a little bit and drop, and then you have to refresh, and then refresh, and refresh, and get it back. That I didn't like. Um, other than that, I thought it was fine, uh, or even good. Um, the virtual stadium's a neat idea uh, when it works. Um, there was some times where maybe, you know, like it was in the middle of the pitch, or it wasn't there anymore, or, you know what I mean? So that was a little crazy. But at the same time, I give them – I give – you know, what? I give props to people who try things, even if they don't succeed. I'll still give you props for it because at least you tried something different. At least you tried to be different. And, you know, they didn't use crowd noise, um, which, you know, I think would have been better to use to have, there to have crowd noise in there for the casual fans. Um, you know, I didn't mind not having the sounds, but there were some games where, like, man, I really wish we had some crowd noise because I, I think it brings up the quality of games, to be honest with you, um, as a viewer. Um, other than that, the, the broadcast team there, I thought they, they did well, uh, a lot better this year than last year. Um, yeah, I, I think overall it was, it was really well done for being in a pandemic, having the fly, 
sell half your equipment, I'm sure, to PEI and, and set it all up within a, a seven-day span. Um, coming out the virtual idea, uh, I give them props. I do. Yeah, I, I think it, I will second that. I think it was a huge step forward. I mean, there's obviously still room for improvement. I think we we feel that way about the white caps on TSN. It's like there's there's room for improvement there too. So I think mm -hmm. the I think your point about them kind of shooting really high with their broadcasting is is good because I like that they they're not treating this like a small boutique league. It's like no, we're the Canadian Premier League, and they really kind of. Yeah. The broadcast, you know, evokes that kind of feeling, and I and I enjoy that. But it's interesting because I don't know if Alex feels the same way about the crowd noise, but I'm I'm with you on that one. Sometimes after <laughs> goals, you're waiting for like that little roar, and honestly, even it's even if it's fake, like I don't care. I enjoy that. Whereas there's just like <laughs> a big goal scored in this tournament. It's kind of like that's it. Like there's because it's only the players on the yeah. field. It's just it's such a it's such a weird feeling. Yeah, well, I don't know. I love when the players. I like hearing what the players say, but that's just that's just me. But I have to agree with you for like the the crowd and stuff. And like we forget that Media Pro is a pretty big deal in Spain. Like this, the fact that the CPL has them as partners. Yeah, I mean, I kind of I'll moan about them. Like last year, they're like we're gonna have a TV channel, and they didn't have a TV channel. Obviously, COVID probably didn't help. And I mean, it's just getting better. They're bringing in new commentators all the time, new new panelists. I mean. For example, some of the the legends they brought in this year, like James Sharman and uh, Craig mm -hmm. Forrest, on top of people like Carmelina Moscato, that was a great ad. You know, Laura Armstrong. So credit to One Soccer. And as long as they keep on proving, uh, improving, it's going to be, I feel like, it's, it's a throwback to the early, I guess, early 2010s when they'd watch Premier League in the morning. It would be all the Canadian guys. Well, at least now it's a Canadian <laughs> Premier League, so... I guess, wow, yeah, how, how, what, what a difference 10 years can make. But, I mean, obviously we want to look back at the tournament, but before we look look back at some of what happened, now uh, Cl David Klanikin on Media Day is like, okay, we want to have a 2021 season. We believe that it is possible. We want to go back in market and try to, try to have a 28-game slate. Heck, with fans, even in some cases, Maybe for you, Curtis, are you looking at what what he said and what what your what we saw this year. What are your expectations for twenty twenty one, and what do you think is a maybe a minimum expectation that you think is relatively safe to expect from the league next year? And then, what are your kind of your hopes, maybe your bigger hopes of what you can see happening? Yeah, I mean, we want fans in the stadium. Um, I don't want to be a buzzkill or anything, but the way this virus is going. Um, I, I don't know. I don't think we'll get a fans in the stands in 2021. If we do, I think it's going to be spaced out. Um, I think having fans in the stands by April, May, I think that's kind of pushing it. Um, you know, somebody somebody that I know is really positive that we're going to have a vaccine by the end of 2021 doesn't necessarily mean that the public will be able to access the vaccine probably until at least summer 2021. Um, and that's best case scenario. So, if that's the case, then I, I could see maybe, you know, very like 10% stadium capacity come June, uh, July, August, and maybe hopefully by September and October's games, we're at full capacity again. And once there's a vaccine out there in public or public's going out there and using it, um, then that's when they'll probably go back to full stadium capacity. Um, some stadiums can pull it off, like Winnipeg's and Hamilton's, um, and still have a decent amount of crowd in there. Uh, Halifax those smaller stadiums like Halifax, York, PFC, 
uh, Eddie's um, Cavalry's there. I, I don't know that they can do that and have as as big a crowd. Um, maybe a thousand at most if they if you can spread them out appropriately. Um, whereas in Winnipeg, Winnipeg and uh, Hamilton, you know, you could in Ottawa, the CFL says stadiums you can probably fit in five six thousand and just spread them out everywhere because it's such a big stadium. So um, I would like just any fans back. Uh, the 28 game schedule next season. Uh, if they're if the owners are fine eating the cost and not having fans in the stands for at least half a season, um, sure, go ahead with the 28 games. That's fine. Uh, I would like to see more games and 28 games and have it spread out and have the players have the ability to train um, during the week and on weekends and stuff. And so have, have you know have a five six training sessions before each game kind of thing because I just think it's it's better because you a tournament format like this. Um, you know, with very little to no preseason, no preseason matches at all, having this crazy break, this crazy situation, it doesn't help, and it doesn't help the young players especially. Um, maybe some of them, yes, they did well, but look at a guy like Taron Campbell, for example. Um, I think if he had a proper preseason and a full 20-game season, he would have looked a lot better than what he did. So 20 games, uh, it's better to have 20 games because that's a little bit a little more opportunity for these players to have games and also for these clubs to scout them and to really watch their development grow over a course of a period of six, seven months rather than a period of 40 days. So one one quick one from me before we maybe move on to some of individual awards and talking about players and teams, but Alex and I were workshopping last time we did a, a CPL podcast and it was kind of off the commissioner's availability about the idea of doing like a doing two regional preseason tournaments, like one in the West, one in the East. And say, for example, in the West, you have Pacific, Cavalry, FC Edmonton, and you also have the Whitecaps Development Squad, Calgary Foothills, TSS Rovers, and do something like that. You know, just as you said, these guys, they don't get a preseason. Some guys aren't up to speed, especially if you're dealing with a you know a messier, maybe not full season next year. What are your thoughts on, on something like that? And... And, and have you heard anything beyond like, oh, we'd like the idea of doing some little tournaments? Is there is there any you know impetus to that actually taking place in 2021? So I think they mentioned in, uh, during Media Day or around Media Day that they want to do a tournament like that. That's actually something I've been thinking about all year this year, even pre-COVID. You play games like FIFA, for example. You do manager mode and they always have these tournaments in these other countries with your club and, you know, six, seven other clubs from all these different leagues. And it's kind of fun because you play like your three games in your group stage, top two, making some semis and then the finals. And I thought, you know what, that would be a good idea to do for the CPL every, you know, February, every March, April kind of thing, right before the start of the season. And the best part about it is you can take those games, take that little tournament and you can split it into two, four and four, maybe add local teams in there as well. Why not? And uh, which would be great to promote the local games and those you know, lower division teams and put them in, in markets that don't have a CPL team, like a Quebec, like a uh, Vancouver or Saskatoon, because in that, and then start, and you'll have fans come, you know, they'll buy tickets. And now you're making money on preseason matches, which you weren't before. And on top of that, now you're bringing in the CPL to a non CPL community, helping grow the game in that non CPL community. I think overall, this is an idea that they should be doing for sure um, obviously then we're going to do it this year uh, which makes sense it's so new but i think if we can next year we got to do it and we got to do it every year and we got to change it to different cities different markets um, and this is also a good test for potential owners you, you know if you're an owner 
for a Montreal of all team, you're like, well, I don't know if there's really fan interest there. But if you have a tournament there and you're selling out every game, you can show it to potential owners as facts. These are the numbers we're made. We made this much on concessions, ticket fees. There's this much in social media scores. There's obviously an appetite for CPL here. Then that will help get an ownership group to come in. Um, this is something I'll talk about in another future video this coming off season. But um, you know, that's I think that a tournament like that would be hugely successful. You can put it on one soccer, or you can put it on one soccer and on TV if you want. Um, people will come and watch, even though it's preseason. It's a cool, fun little tournament. You got the local clubs versus the big clubs in there. Uh, and they're in non-CPL markets that, that have good stadiums that I think will have really good fan support. Saskatoon will sell out. Quebec City will sell out. Uh, Laval will sell out. Um, Vancouver will, will sell out. And you grow the CPL fan base that way. And I mean, it's it's all about growing the league, and I think that that's, this tournament is a no-brainer. Well, I guess we, we wanted to to talk awards first. So, Sam, maybe I'll let you, uh, I'll let you take the reins just to start. Well, yeah, I want to... Curtis, I want to balance like not not giving away everything in your video because I'd like to you know I'd like to encourage the listener to go check out your video as well. But obviously we're we're still waiting on the award winners, and there's some Alex and I before the finals kind of dived into our thoughts. But I was curious for kind of bullet point your impressions of the award races, and I guess starting out with with most valuable player. Your thoughts on the three candidates and maybe kind of you know who who you were leaning towards. Um, for sorry, that was for MVP, right? Yes, mm-hmm. correct for MVP. Yeah. Okay. Um, so that one that is actually the hardest award for me to give. I did my I did my award video. Uh, I guess it's last week now, and that uh, it came out. And um, to be honest with you, I said so. I said Bustos. But it, honestly, it can go either Becker or Busto. Like I, I flip every day. I'm, yeah, that's it, what I'm it's saying. so it's so tough. Day. It's a and, bit of a team success versus individual brilliance type thing, where mm-hmm. like like obviously Becker's so good, but he does so many little things that aren't like as easy to kind yeah. of you know individualize. Whereas Bustos, mm-hmm. you can just you can see the quality, but then the team didn't have quite the same success. So it's it's so tough. Yeah, and. And it's hard to compare sometimes different positions and, and different jobs because they do different jobs. It's like in hockey, I'm a big, I'm a Washington Capitals fan. My favorite player is Alex Ovechkin. But everyone's like, oh, well, he's not the greatest player. Sid Crosby is. It's like, but you can't compare apples to oranges. You can't compare a left winger to a center because they play different roles. Um, a left winger doesn't defend the exact same way as a centerman. Same thing goes with soccer in, in, in some ways. Bustos was mostly playing on the right wing. They're not gonna, he's not gonna have the same requirements to his job as Becker, who was playing that center midfield box to box role for a lot of the tournament this year. And, and that's why it's almost, it's just so tough to call that one. Now, in Akin Garcia's uh, defense, I thought he had a great tournament. I think if he would have had the full season this year, he would have been high teens, maybe even hit 20 goals this year in 28 games if he played the full 28 games. Uh, the guy was fantastic. I mean, this guy, I love this player. He's hes the type of international we need to have in the league year in and year out um, to watch his development like this. He's such a treat to watch. Um, but in saying that, I, I just feel he comes third in this race. I don't think he is as as good as as Becker and Bustos um, was in this tournament. I think, but, but you're right. Bustos has that kind of talent, you know, that, that, um, that flair to it. You know, like, oh, you're on the edge of your seat. What Becker does do 
all the things and he, and he can do all the things and does the little things, like you said, really well. And um, there's some points I, I broke down um, in that award video that I think it was a word video or another video I have coming out soon. Um, but, but Becker does like, like you said, the little things, there's like defensive things that, you know, you have to really watch the game and you see, and you're like, man, like if he doesn't make the defensive play, like in the finals against Akima Garcia, for example, he gets a toe on a ball right before Akeem does in Forge's box and knocks it out. If he's not there, Akeem scores like goal and you're down one nil in the finals. Changes the game. So, I mean, and he's such a good leader for that team. Uh, it's so hard to call. I, like I said, I flip every day on it. But uh, I'm sticking with my video pick. I'm going to say Bustos. He's also a Winnipeg boy, so got yeah, support local. That's that's fair enough. And uh, so moving on to the second one, which I think is, I think if if we go with your video, we were all in agreement on this one, which is the Golden Glove. Yeah, so the Golden Glove, Tristan Henry, uh, um, the guy's so underrated. I don't know why final, people right. Like it's just it's. Yeah. Who else can you go with? Well, exactly. I mean, again, in Chris, Christian Oxner's defense, it, it was it was a rough play. Both or was it three goals they scored on him or two? Yeah, um, yeah the second one was, was uh, less than yeah. spectacular. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's man, it happens. You know, we we all have bad days, and and I definitely think he comes second in that race. Uh, I think he did really well this year, Christian Oxner. Uh, I don't know why. Uh, I think at the start of the tournament, he might have been injured, and that's why uh, Bulio was, was starting, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but I don't know why people were, in preseason, CPL.ca were doing stuff, and they were saying, oh, Oxner's still a backup. Like, what know. disrespect. <laughs> what disrespect that was. <laughs> and and uh, Oxner proved that he's such a great keeper. Um, he's a great local product for Halifax. Um, he had a great tournament. Um you know, there's so many positives that you know. Even if he doesn't win, uh, he should he should be very happy with his performance this tournament. Fantastic. Tristan Henry, by the way, deserves the win because he's the most underrated goalkeeper, one of the most underrated players in the CPL. I'd even say. But I mean, this guy has been money since day one. He's the only goalkeeper in the league with a title, not to mention now two titles. So uh, I mean, he had the most clean sheets. I think he's now got the most clean sheets in CPL history. Uh, maybe even most wins in CPL history. Uh, I believe possibly even the most saves in CPL history, at least top three through two seasons. So, I mean, the, uh, people got to stop disrespecting this guy too. I mean, he, he deserves it, Tristan Henry. I mean, three finals, three clean sheets. What other goalkeeper? Not even Marco Carducci can say that. And everyone was uh, singing his praises mm-hmm. last year. But I agree. I think th- those CPL rankings were questionable in a lot of ways. But one of them that got me the hardest, I think, was Tristan Henry at fifth or sixth. And they put goalies that hadn't even played in the league at like number two, and then like I don't know, that was that's a whole other story. Those rankings, but I guess <laughs> next, I feel like one that was pretty interesting, at least between Sam and I, was the U twenty one player of the year. I thought that was a very interesting three picks. Yeah, I, I think I think so too. Um, I'm trying to think now back to him. So it's uh, it's Farsi, who I think we're all in agreement. Oh, for me, I, Farsi wins it. Mm-hmm. Um, the other two, I'm trying to think off the top of my head, Nassau and Julian Dunn. Julian Dunn. So Julian Dunn, yeah, okay, I could see coming at number two. I think Nassau and Hamilton, uh, for me, could be interchangeable. Number three, I think Hamilton did really well. Nassau was fantastic. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that he's not deservant of the of the award. All of them are. Um, I thought uh, Nassau played really well at that right back position this year for Halifax. 
Uh, he definitely deserves to be the starter at the end, that finals at the end. Um, he's come a long way from last season. Uh, but at the end of the day, Farsi to me, just, he just reminds me almost of like, kind of like Tristan Borges, where he's just technical. He's a great winger and he's probably a player that European player, European clubs are going to love to pick up because he's got that flair, that technical ability. And there's not many players in the CPL that have it. And that's why he stands out to, to fans, to scouts. So, you know, Farsi for me was a top under 21 player. And what a story too! coming like literally passed over by four or five teams goes the cavalry wins a starting job early in the tournament. And then just plays out of his mind. I mean, it's, I love him. I love watching him. I, I hope to God he stays another year. Um, I hope he looks at what Tristan Borges did and where he left after a year. And I don't think he's played a single game this year for his new club. Um, so, I mean, if you're Farsi, you have to stay another year. I think uh, still so young. But he's my U21 player of the year. But do you think he's going to stay another year? Is is the question, or does he does he bolt if he gets the opportunity before? Because I because I agree with you. I think one like a full proper season, and then you maybe really get your pick of a club in the right fit is a better move. But is that too tantalizing to pass up on? Um, I I think he stays. I think I think we're talking about transfers a little bit later in the interview, so I'll, yeah. I'll keep the rest of that uh, for when we talk about that. But yeah, I think it's another year. Okay, and then so the last the last one, and I think we're probably all in agreement on this one as well for coach of the year. But I guess I will actually want to start with the Mista versus Pamaduka conversation because I think that was actually one of the little storylines that drew some some fan ire on social medias. Some people really, I mean, I think Mista did a, a way better job than I was expecting this tournament, to be honest. And so like full credit to him there. But I think a lot of people were saying that is that, is that really, you know, just doing slightly above the kind of minimum expectation. Is that worthy of coach of the year versus kind of the way Palma Duca was able to change the, the feeling in that Pacific team. So I'm interested for your thoughts there. And then also, who your winner of coach of the year is. Yeah. I mean, such a tough, that was, that was tough. I mean, I know who the winner is. Uh, I think he's, he's a very good winner. Um, but I think for the, the car versus Mista, I mean, I can see it from the point of view where Mista had the build, but he didn't do it alone. Right. He, he definitely had a lot of help. Um, I'm not too sure how much input to be honest with you that he had in terms of building the team, but um, I'm sure some, but yeah, you know, they built a team in such a small amount of time. Uh, COVID happened, so it kind of extended that period of time to build. Uh, I don't think they had all their signings before COVID hit. Um, I think, uh, you know, I, I think they did well building the team. Um, I liked the team. I think Akuna was such a great grab for the team, such a steal. Um, this is a guy that I think could play in the MLS this year. Um, so to have him in the league was fantastic quality. We needed a player like this in the league for an international especially. And, um, but I think, yeah, I think Mista did really well this season. So you got to give him props. They didn't finish last. So, you know, they already did better than I think a lot of people expected um, from judging on a lot of people's expectations uh, before the season started. Um, but Ka, I mean, he, he turned this team around. I mean, PFC finished fifth or fourth last season. So mid table. Um, but they look a lot better now. They look way more structured, more stable. Um, you know, you can say Bustos 
I don't think he carried the team, but I think he was a very big part of that team. And I think if it wasn't there, they might not have, have finished as high. Um, but I mean, hey, they got in the top four. They finished. They can stay fourth now. Um, they played well. They looked competitive. They looked like they can be a contender or a piece or two away from being a contender. So, I mean, that one, like I said, it's tough. Whoever whoever makes it will be a third place team. I think Bobby Smirniotis, they're a second. And um, here's a guy that now there's so many underrated people in this league. It, it's ridiculous. And Bobby is one of them as a coach. I mean, how does this guy not win Coach of the Year? Uh, winning back-to-back titles. Uh, the only coach to win a title now. Um, the team looks fantastic. The team's clearly the best team now in the league is Forge. Um, just they just know how to win and execute on any given day, and they do it. So, I mean, props to him for building such a, a powerful system there. Um, I hope he stays another year just as a coaching uh, perspective. I think the league will benefit hugely from that. Um, but, yeah, in my opinion, the coach of the year goes with Stephen Hart. who won last place, getting hit with that wooden spoon last year. I really taught him a lesson. And uh, this year they're a lot better. And they, he took him from last place to contender um, in a span of 10 months. Ten month, a year ago today, they were last place. So, I mean, huge props to him for that. Um, they're a 1-1 away from a final or from a championship. So, I think he, he deserves to win that. I think that, that's fair. And that's a very good point you make about Bobby Smirnos. I think uh, we can also agree that Forge is almost like a victim of their own success sometimes for individual awards with Henry, for example, Becker, and uh, Bobby Smirnotis. Because I agree. I mean, I think it, it's – as long as he wants to stay at Forge, he's got he's obviously got the keys to Forge. But I do wonder at what point does a bigger club say this guy, he's built up Sigma with his brother from the ground up since two thousand and two, I think it was, and they've look at the players that have come through Sigma, Kyle Laren, Richie Larea. Um oh boy, there's half of the Forge roster, like player after player, like it it's been quality. You do wonder will the team poach him, make him kind of their coach slash manager slash sporting director and let him take free reins because I would love to to see that because obviously for Canadians I mean if you took over a Canadian MLS club for example obviously he prioritizes Canadians I do wonder if someone like Greg Vanny happened to leave in the next few years if that could be a match match made in maybe I don't know if it's made in heaven but certainly a match worth exploring but I mean we could, let's talk about some of the teams at the CPL and I, I want to start with maybe some of the Let's start with some of the teams at the bottom of the, the pecking order because you mentioned Stephen Hart, Wooden Spoon, nearly worst to first, incredible turnaround. How about a team like FC Edmonton? They got the Wooden Spoon this year. How? Let's just metaphorically, they got the Wooden Spoon. They want to yield it. They want to motivate their players. What, what do you think they do if they want to be the next Halifax? I mean, okay, here's the thing. I think that they were the biggest losers of having the tournament. Um, I'm saying that in, in terms of they have quality. I think on paper, the roster was really good. Uh, I put them seventh in my season predictions because I just didn't know if all the players can execute. But if they could, I think they could be contenders. Don't get me wrong. I think if they had a preseason um, and a full 20-game season, they would have not finished last place. Uh, but in saying that, they did finish last place. Um, I don't think Jeff should have left. I think he, he deserves a third year, their chance there, because this is such just a weird year, weird tournament. Um, at the same time, there's players, there's some moments where some players were just too selfish. They didn't play as a team sometimes. 
uh, Amir Didic. I mean, they had so many, so many things go against them this this year with injuries. You you lose your best defender and Amir Didic game one. I mean, that's just shakes the core of the team right there, and they just didn't look confident enough defending. Uh, they couldn't score goals yet again this season. Um, Easton Garo was the only one that could really score a goal for them, um, which shows you how good Easton Garo is because, I mean, the offense they created wasn't that great this season. Um, I, I think that they need, now that the coaching role is open, they need like a coach that can really motivate this team, really push this team and, and penalize the team. Like if you're not going to play well, you're going to be penalized for it. I mean, this, at the end of the day, it's a results business and, and, you got to win. You got to win. You got to win titles. And they need, to, they need a coach to come in and really coach up the offense, I think, a lot. Because two years in a row now they've struggled with offense. There's something wrong there. And, I mean, what were your impressions of, uh, I think, the two guys that were kind of the boomer bust was Kevin Alleman and uh, Hanson Boaka. I mean, I think mixed results. I thought of the two, Alleman seemed more settled and he had more flashes. But obviously, maybe... Everyone saw Alamin, uh, Angaro, and Boakai. Like that, that could be a front three worth watching. And maybe it, obviously, Angaro performed. I think we can all agree he was really clinical. I'm, I'm impressed on a team that struggles to generate chances. But Boakai and uh, Alamin, if they're going to stick around, because I feel like they are as young ish Canadians who obviously wanted to come back to, at least in the case of Boakai, want to come home to Edmonton and then Alamin obviously give the CPL a go. Do you think? think they could be difference makers next year with the full preseason and all that oh yeah i think so i mean those two guys those are fantastic pickups uh Alleman, yeah you're right i think he he kind of lived up to expectations i mean i wasn't expecting too much from either of them with no preseason no way to really gel with chemistry on the pitch with these guys both kai i had low expectations of because of what he did and, and finland wasn't really that fantastic so I was like, okay, well, um, I'm not going to put so much into stock into him right now. Let's see what he develops. And I don't, I don't want to get my expectations up too high element. I, I kind of did. I kind of was like, okay, maybe this is number 10 that they really needed. Uh, Cause he can't play the number 10 role, but he looked good. Number 10. I think he played winger a little bit. Um, he looked good. He did. So, you know, I give him props. I think next year, if he returns, uh, he'll play a lot better. I think it, this league is perfect for him and Bokai. Um, so, they should stay. Uh, I'm pretty sure Yisnagaro is here next year. Um, so, I mean, and for those two, you have to stay with them um, on this team because, you know, the team needs offense. And I think if you get the right coach, that's a good motivational coach that can really push these guys uh, in training as well as in, in game, I think then you'll see them hopefully hit that next level that they can hit because there's, there's more gears there. It's just you got to have the right teacher to help you switch those gears. So then kind of in that in that next tier, just above FC Edmonton, you've got two teams that probably performed above expectations in this tournament, at least through conventional wisdom. And we already kind of, you touched on Atletico a little bit, but your hometown Valor, I think a lot of people looked at that roster coming in and had some big questions. There was, you know, who's going to play where? How is it all going to fit? Is the defense going to be good enough? And Valor really impressed and and showed a lot of positive signs, at least kind of from an outsider perspective. But how did you kind of break it down? And, and going into next year, do they have a, a good platform to continue the success they found at the Island Games? Yeah, I think they, I think Valor did really well. Um, I think if they could keep that core together, um, 
get a number nine, then I think they did really well. I think if they would have kept Tyler Otardo, they would have done better. Um, they just need a goal scorer. They really, that's all I believe they need now. The defense was fantastic this year. Uh, Jean-Baptiste, fantastic defender. If he doesn't leave to a bigger club, I pray he stays with Valor because this guy is such an underrated defender this year. Um, if he would have played the seventh game and if he would have played games eight, nine, and ten in the in this final four, uh, you got to throw him in the conversation for defender of the year because this guy was really good. Really good defender, really organized, kept the team in the back four organized. Uh, Julian Dunn was good, but he was better with John Baptiste there. No doubt about it. Um, I, I mean, the, the team's really solid. Pantamis and Net, I thought um, at first, after that first game, I was kind of like, oh, oh, I don't know. But then he, he settled in, he got better. Um, the midfielder, uh, midfielders, they were really, really played really well. Frazier aired, I had a lot of stock in. And, uh, and he, I thought he performed uh, fairly well. Uh, again, uh, if he comes back another year, full 28 games, I think he'll blow up. Uh, master catcher. Uh, I hope he comes back. The guy's such a talent, such an irritated guy. Loved this guy when he when we signed him. I was I'm, I watched the highlight pack. I was like, yes, please. And um, yeah, I think uh, Galan there played really well in that midfield. Um, and that forward, even I think it was Austin Ricky there, played really well. He played really well for, for what he had. I liked his game. I liked how he was kind of a disturber there um, up front. But he wasn't the goal scorer, I think, that we needed. And, um, you know, if we have a goal scorer and we have a healthy team, then I think I think they can be contenders, to be honest with you. And if the team stays together um, and they just add the pieces they need, the sky's the limit for the Stiler team, I think. I really do. So I think oh, – well, go I'll, ahead, I'll Alex. just hop in, Sam. Yeah, yeah. It's, I think we, we can agree that – Maybe if you're Valor, you're two big things on the shopping list this year. Striker or some sort of number nine forward option. And I depth, I think, uh, well, you mentioned John Baptiste. I, I agree with you on the assessment. He was excellent defending. I think uh, he kind of proved his worth as the tournament went along. You look at guys like Brett Levi's, he was very versatile all yes. over. You look at, uh, it was very unfortunate that uh, Arnold Umbu, Mbuktu, I want to, I want to say yeah. he got injured right <laughs> yeah. like in his first game. I thought he was quality, and he gets injured, yeah. and that's obviously tough. But you mentioned Pantemis and Dunn, and for me, those are the two interesting ones to watch because obviously they're on loan, and with loans, you never know if they're going to come back or not. I mean, you look at TFC; obviously, they could use a center back like Dunn. Like, I'm sorry, their defense hasn't been that good this year, but TFC is also notorious for not maybe not saying favoritism for Canadians, but when it comes to a, a, role, a battle between a Canadian and non-Canadian, the non-Canadian usually tends to win. And then you look at Montreal, their goalkeeping situation is set. Do you think, if you're Valor, how much do you prioritize, at the very least, getting another 12-month loan for the, each of them for, for, for Valor? If not, like, try to sign them outright. Do you think that should also be at the top of their priority list in the offseason? I don't think Toronto would uh, sell Dunn. I think they would loan him again next year, depending on how that team is um, at center back. So Pantamis, though, I think will come because, like you said, I think I think it's really tough for him to crack the top two on that depth chart for Montreal. Uh, another loan, I think, will do him really well in Valor and having a full 20-game season. And Winnipeg will do him well. Um, and it'll, it'll help the team. It'll help Montreal in developing him. It'll help the player and it'll help the club. Uh, Valor, that's what that is. Um, I mean, Dunn... If they lose him, as if if they lose him, but they get John Baptiste back, 
I'll, I can live with that. Um, Laboris is another really good center back that was injured. I think played the last game of the season um, in Jean-Baptiste's place played well. So, and he's young, he's, I think 20 years old, 21 next season. So, I mean, he's a player that uh, I, I want to see more of. So Dunn doesn't come back, but we have him and Jean-Baptiste in the back center back positions. Um, I'm absolutely ha- happy with that and fine with that. So um, another one too was Campbell that they had on loan. Campbell, I don't, I, I, I thought highly of him coming in. I didn't have a great an impression coming from him this season. I, I thought he could have played a lot better. I thought he dropped the ball um, literally and figuratively in, uh, in this tournament there. And, uh, you know, if he comes back, I expect better of him. So, yeah, one just last quick follow-up on Valor from me. Uh, if you lose a guy like Dunn, what's the status of Amir Soto? I mean, I know the, there was a deal in place in the preseason then the paperwork didn't work out or just the deal fell through. Is that something that's still in the cards or, or has the club kind of moved on from that? Yeah, so Rob um, Rob did say that he does. Uh, Soto is still in the plans. Uh, he did. He got a visa to come in a week into the tournament. At that point, there's no point in bringing him in. So, you know, I, I, from what I believe, I think he's uh, he's already starting on a senior team. Um, I, I can't remember the country he plays for, but Panama. off the top of my head. But Panama, yes. Um, I believe he's got one or two caps on the senior squad already, and he's still 21 next season, if I'm not mistaken. So, I mean, that's another good center-back option, too. I, I do believe, yes, he will be in the cards next year, and I do believe that they get him in before uh, or by the start of train camp in March. Um, and, and then they work him in there. Uh, again, if they don't have done, it's not a big deal, I think, because you have Soto, you have Laboris, that I believe will be back next season. And Jean-Baptiste, I think, is a big question mark. Um, he's the key, honestly, to the defense. He has to come back for those other two options to work without done. So, um, or even if you get done back. Jean-Baptiste or a good veteran center back like Jean-Baptiste has to fill that other role. I guess moving on, Ottawa, you touched on them generally, so maybe we, we, we don't mm-hmm. have to go on, on to them generally, but I think there's some good building blocks there. Brandon John at the back. you got Ben Fisk and uh, Francisco Acuna, who I agree. Acuna was – he was uh, – the first time he, he stepped on the field, just the, the quality he brings – you can tell that his pedigree in, in Liga MX, and I mean, we forget he comes from Puebla and he was playing regularly, unless, unlike someone like, say, Alejandro Diaz, who comes from a top club, but he wasn't playing. So Acuna maybe shouldn't have been a surprise, but boy, did he was the, you see him, you, you realize how underrated that, that guy is specifically. But if you're Ottawa, besides depth, because I think you can all agree, I mean, they had, what, 17 players? That's not going to, over the course of a season, that's not going to, lend you very well but aside from depth what what should they maybe target if they're going to take a step forward because i think we're all really we were all really surprised not only how well they played and the results they got but like they played probably some of the nicest soccer at least in the first halves of games before they faded out like the passing that and we don't expect that from an atletico madrid own team i thought it was going to be 4-4-2 diego simeone kind of defensive football so i mean i was impressed so maybe just yeah aside from the football what should they look on uh, improving this offseason yeah no I think the team the team did really well I think the biggest improvement needs to be on defense for them I think they let way too many shots go I mean like every game that Zabal played 
like the kitchen sink was thrown at him. The guy was black and blue. I'm sure this off season from all the balls he had to save. I uh, led the league in saves, if I'm not mistaken. I think he had like 24, 25 in the first seven games. So, um, and then that's another guy that should have probably been in the conversation for goalkeeper of the year because of just how important he was for that team. Um, I would have liked to see Ricky Gomez play a game or two there. Uh, see what he can bring to this league. Um, I was really interested in that. But other than that, uh, yeah, I think the back four needs improvements. Um, the midfielder, the midfield's actually not bad. Like it's a pretty good midfield. I think Malcolm Shaw I would like to see a little bit more from, uh, like more games and see what, what true quality he has. Uh, I really believed when they announced him that that was going to be Simon Jackson. To be honest with you, so uh, <laughs> I've I've always just compared Shaw now to Jackson. I was like, Mill, was he good enough? And um, but I mean, if they can get Jackson and Shaw up there and do a full four two, I mean that team will be deadly. Uh, you, you fix up that back four a little bit, make it look pretty, it keeps the ball. And that team becomes a contender all of a sudden. Um, Akuna just did so much for that team last year. Like I was an engine. Um, like you said, true quality there. Um, he honestly could be playing the MLS, in my opinion. I just think a lot of teams didn't want to spend the DP money on him. Uh, he came to the CPL and he just tore it up. I mean, this guy, if he has a full 20 games next year, he'll be fantastic again. He's going to be in a conversation every year, I think, for the next two or three years at least in the MVP conversation in the CPL for as long as he plays. Uh, in the league, I think he's the guy's quality. Uh, he made that team better. He made every player on that team better. Um, uh, I was a little disappointed in Ben Fisk. I thought he could have been a little bit better in that in that season. Um, but again, I mean, it was such a weird year on the island. Um, but I, I think Atletico Ottawa fans have a lot to be proud of. The team was fun to watch. Uh, they got good quality. They got a good structure to build off. They really do. And I think Sam and I can agree for the MLS comment. I think a Francisco, at least for the Whitecaps, Acuna would definitely be the sort of quality that the Whitecaps could use in the midfield. But that's a whole other story for on uh, on many podcast episodes we've spent jabbering about that. So we'll, we'll, we won't dive into that. But I mean, I, yeah, I agree. I think uh, another guy that maybe also could get some some love and some some attention i thought he was excellent and when he wasn't in the lineup ottawa suffered vachon neufville mm. so i think if they can keep mm. him and brandon jan and then get us another center back another right back i think they're i think they're solid but the one the team that was interesting to us for at least for sam and i because we had at least since the tournament start everyone was high on york nine and i mean there's quality there i, I don't i agree and even missing guy like nicholas hamilton who didn't come up to the tournament and some of the big names they signed. But at the same time, there were question marks at the back from the beginning. I mean, they brought two center backs to the tournament, which I don't know. I'm not, I'm not, uh, I'm not Jose Mourinho or Pep Guardiola, but I'd like to think that isn't exactly a recipe for success, bringing two center backs, but kind of what were your thoughts on York? I mean, I think we all can agree they disappointed, but kind of how did you rate them before the tournament? Were you, as surprised to maybe see them fall out a bit as the tournament went on. Um, about the center back spot, I think they actually had three because our known our known was there and he plays uh, center back. That's a guy that I think they should have. I would have liked to see more from because I mean that guy was so good with Halifax last year. Um, but I mean the team they have a great back four. The back four I think is championship quality in this league. Uh, goalkeeping, anything Ingham is another really high quality keeper for this team and uh, for this league. Um, I don't know. There's just there's something just not right about that team, and that's why they didn't perform this year. They have quality there. Uh, Ryan Telfer just he did fine, but he just wasn't. Uh, a lot of people said he didn't have a good tournament. 
you dive into the numbers, I, you know, you watch the games again. Um, he did fine. He wasn't fantastic, but it wasn't as bad as maybe people expected. I think a lot of people had high expectations because of what he did last year and how the media hyped him up around the CPL when he came back. Um, I think this league is good for him. I think he needs to stay another year, have a full season under his belt before moving on to really get that good structure back in the game. But I think for York 9, I don't know what it is, but it just it just felt like there was something missing. For me, they're the biggest disappointment of the, of the tournaments. Um, I had them going to the finals. I think a lot of people had them going to the finals. They didn't perform. I don't know if that's – you blame it on the coaching, on uh, the leadership. I don't know what it is. The defending was great. It was just going forward. The attack wasn't there. I agree that maybe not having Hamilton and a few other internationals maybe hurt them a little, little bit. But, but there's still quality there. Um, uh, Petrasso was injured the entire tournament, which really sucks. Because the guy's such a great playmaker on the wing. Um, I think Aparicio did fantastic. Petrara did fantastic this season. But, I mean, again, you can score all the free kick goals all you want. That's not going to carry you to the finals. And, yeah. Just they need better attackers. I think they really miss Katas this year. Really miss Katas this year. But disappointment for me this year. Um, something's in that. Something's going on over there, and they they need to clean it up. Is that like? Does anything short of a coaching change or wide sweeping changes to the roster fix that? Do you think? Like, is it? Do you need a hard reset, or or is it something that a tweak here and a tweak there can can sort of solve? They, if they if they can bring back everybody, and I don't think that they will, um, I I know they won't. Um, they uh, they need to. I I I think I, I don't know what it is. I really don't. I think the coaching maybe it's easier to replace one guy than a whole team. And I think they have good quality pieces. If you replace Brandon, who do you replace him with? In you know and. Um, you know, who can motivate this team? Motivation is another thing. I think that maybe just didn't, didn't do it for them. Um, um, I just think that there is just something, something they're missing. Uh, they didn't have a spark, if, if you will. Um, and that's when you don't have a spark, I think you I look to the coach and the coach has to be the guy that can get that spark out of your players. If he's not able to do that. I mean, Jimmy Brennan in the post games this year, he just seems like, oh, you know, it happened. We're going to work on it. We're going to come back next game. I don't know if that was enough. Um, if he's like that behind the scenes, I don't know if it's enough. And at the same time, how do you fire the guy who owns the team or owns, I think, part of the team? And you know what I mean? So it's kind of weird. I think they kind of put themselves in a little bit of a weird situation there. Um, if he was to leave, I think he would have to step down and go to another club for another job, kind of like almost like a Jeff Polis situation. So I don't know. I think – I really don't know. I, I, I need to see the full story before I can really say what they need because um, there's stuff going on behind the scenes. I think that um, I, there must be because it just doesn't look, didn't look right to me on the field. Well, let, let, me, let me put it this way. If, uh, if any market knows how some organiz- organizational dysfunction at higher levels can kind of unsettle everything, it's Vancouver Whitecaps fans, right? Like, it's it, it does it has this pervasive nature where like all the you look at okay Mark Dos Santos great coach we got some quality players but then there's just there's something a little bit off and it I don't know it feels like York Nine has that same vibe where there's just 
there's a feeling in the facility, there's a feeling in the team where they've got all the pieces, but they just, man, can't quite put it together. And yeah, I don't, I don't know if there's, <laughs> there's an easy fix. If there's, you know, it, it seems easy to just get rid of one guy and oh, everything's going to change. But it's, it's, you know, it's, a, it's a hard thing to shake. Well, it's, it's tough. I mean, to jump in here, like everyone talked about Valor in the off season. I mean, York went through like a low key, a lot of turmoil with the whole rebranding question. How all of a sudden they're like, we want to change our branding. And already last year they had issues with, you know, consistent fan support. And they're like, are we tapping into the right markets? Are we getting engaged? And I don't know. I feel like there's such an interesting crossroads. I mean, Gus McNabb, I think is as a, I'm not even sure what his role. I think tech, he's like some sort of technical director slash. I mean, he's is he consulting um, person for the club? He's not the president. Okay. Uh, he's told me that very clearly, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so managing consultant. That's what it was. That was his title. Well, because I thought he, he was me. he was real. He's a really good addition, at least in terms of know how and engagement and yes, whatnot, yeah. and. I think if they can build off that, that's a great start because obviously they kind of have the two problems, obviously engaging in a tough Toronto market off the field and then obviously competing and winning on the field. It's such a unique club. And I, I, I agree with Brandon. It's, it's tough because you look on, on paper, I think he, like this year he did the UEFA A license, which is the highest coaching license available. And he's got all the, the badges and he's he's obviously played at a high level. He, he knows the game. I guess you just wonder if all that expertise translates into coaching because coaching can be as much about man managing and you bring up an interesting point about motivation. And I guess we'll see over the course of a full year because York, it was all about flashes. I think last year, and you look at their roster, I agree. Abzi, um, Gasparado, Thompson, and uh, I always forget the donor donor. That's a pretty solid back for jo- Joseph DKR. I love the guy, hate the guy. He's a, quality midfielder box to box he gets things done you look around the roster there's quality so they definitely have a lot to because yeah as much as people maybe want to either dunk on the takes for them predicting a a top team and I, i agree when they're if at the top of their level they could be a top team you want to see them play good football because you look at that team you're like that could be a fun team to watch in a in a season so I think we'll, we'll all be following York Nine closely because clearly profile-wise, the guys, the fact that they signed guys like Alvaro Rivero straight out of what is it, Real Madrid, and Gabriel Vasilino, who obviously didn't play much down in, in Brazil, but high-profile signings, I think they just need to put that puzzle together, and it could be a fun one. Yeah, no, I, I 100% agree. And and like you got a, you got a good point there with you know, Brennan's got a lot of coaching license. You can be book smart, doesn't mean you're street smart. And I think. I think in terms of coaching, you can have all the structure you want in your game, but like you said, you, you got to man manage, and it's when you're a manager, you're managing everything. You're managing personalities, you're managing um, things off the pitch as well as on the pitch. And again, it's something I can't really put my finger on because I don't know the full story. I know bits and pieces of it, but again, you got to see it from all points of views. Well, I guess that brings us to the top four. I mean, and we. T- we touched a bit on Halifax and uh, and and Forge, and that leaves. Well, we'll we'll finish with Halifax and Forge as the finalist. That makes sense, but I guess let's go Pacific. I feel like the West Coast team they surprised. They took a step forward. We talked about Bustos' big signing. I mean, they already have a, 
obviously a young solid core from the back to front that that stayed and they added some of the pieces they needed like a goalkeeper and another center back obviously next year they need depth because their squad was very thin 17 players only came to the island and Pacific, how do you rate them heading into to the third year? How did they kind of fare for you at the Island Games? Did they end up overachieving, underachieving, achieving right where you thought they would achieve? They achieved right as I thought they would achieve. Um, they had to do better than last season. I think Kyle was going to do better than this season with them. Um, and, and they did it. And I give them props. The interesting thing is, because I do think that they're almost contenders. I think they're a few pieces away. And I just think, think experience, experience really hurt them this year. They've made a lot of bad mistakes in the box, gave up a lot of penalties because I think of not having that experience. Um, hopefully they learned from that for next season. But I, I think uh, what will be in an interesting storyline, the most biggest interesting storyline, I think, for them would be the Bustle situation. Does he come back another year? Does he get sold? Because um, the guy's quality and the guy's going to be 25 years old next year. Um he doesn't have all day and and i know he wants to go play in bigger leagues in the mls or in europe um if a deal comes this year does he leave and if he leaves then that's a huge hole you have to replace huge hole i mean the other guys did great but busos was the best player on this team so how do you replace them you got to go and you got to find somebody that can replace them um that's very technical that can play really well in the ball um that sometimes can be a big ask um so for that type of player to, to, to go out and get it, especially on a free transfer. Um, you know, I think PFC did well. I think like you, I, I think they're one or two pieces away if they keep Bustos from being a contender for sure. So I, I have uh, two, two potential suggestions there for the Bustos replacement. Um, one is, one is the uh, the just recently moved to uh, to Italy on like a, a a trial or I don't know exactly what it is Simon Coline from the Whitecaps Academy and then All also, right, yeah. also shout out to my like quasi employer um, SFU Athletics and uh, the, the Polisi brothers yeah Matteo Matteo Polisi or March well, no Matteo is the defensive mid Marcello oh, Marcello is the, the defensive the t- mid. Mateo's yeah. the ten. You got it backwards. Okay. Sorry, yeah. So Mateo is a is a wonderful, wonderful number ten. Already had definitely had some interest, but decided to go back to school for this year to try to compete for a national title. Now, mind you, whether or not that actually takes place is a is another question. But I think there's some there is some local BC talent that I mean, yeah. Is he going to? Are either of those guys going to come in and? you know, take that Busto spot and do the same amount with it right away? Definitely not. But there is some good local BC talent that could could fill that out at some point. And I think it's interesting that we transition from York to Pacific because I don't think a single team at the tournament got a bigger bump in terms of culture change from year one to year two based on that coaching staff and just the vibes being so much de- better and the identity being so much more clear. So, do you, like, do you think that that's a sometimes a first year coach you get that kind of bump of a new culture? Do you think Pamaduka's message and kind of the way he handles his team is that something that's going to carry on through the years, or do we just see like a big spike this year because it was such an improvement from season number one? I mean, that's a good question. I mean, that's something what we're going to see in year three, and how does it? how does it translate into a 28 game season too? Right. I mean, mm-hmm. 
it's a different story, whether it's 40 days versus six, seven, eight months, right? So including training camp. Um, you know, they seem to have a very good base in there. I mean, from what I remember uh, reading an article this week, every single player is, went back to Vancouver Island, and they're still there, and they're still staking together. So, you know, I think that that's, that's a good idea. You want that. You want the players to kind of have that family-like atmosphere so then you, you, you get a little bit more out of them because then they'll want to play even harder for the guy next to them. So, I mean, that's, they're doing things right over there, and I think the real test will be a second year. Um, because, I mean, look, some coaches in their second year don't perform up to standard as maybe the first year because that first year you kind of have that unknown factor to you. You come in there, no one really knows how you're going to coach the systems, right? Um, and maybe that's what happened with Kaw this year. Maybe next year we start to see a bit of a decrease. Who knows? But that's that's something that I think no one will really know until we have it. And again, it all depends on what the format is and how many games. It's a good point you bring about the, the Vancouver Island travel because I know before the season started, it, what stood out to me is that Alejandro Diaz, because I think he was pretty much the highest profile international for Pacific signing this, this offseason. He flew right away to Pacific and he's been living in, in, uh, in Victoria since February. And you look at some of the mm-hmm. teams that struggled to get their international guys over in time or they came last minute. That's huge for Pacific that he was there the whole time and trained and Obviously, I get, yeah, I agree with the, the atmosphere that, that they have there. And I mean, for Pacific, is, um, I don't even know what, what kind of question I'd want to ask, but is, is there any players that you feel are massively underrated on Pacific? Because people talk a lot about Bustos, and I think amongst other teams, Pacific certainly has some, a lot of pieces that might have almost been undershadowed by Bustos compared to other teams where it felt more rounded. I mean, we talk about York, they're a very balanced team, whereas Pacific... Busto's got a lot of the, the the attention. They obviously have some quality pieces. Were there any underrated pieces that stood out to you in the tournament? Yeah, Blasco had a really good tournament. Um, I so I do uh, like starting eleven ratings with uh, Flop Mob, uh, the website there. Um, but the I use their ratings and I put it together and make like a team of the team eleven um, of the week kind of thing as and of the season. Um, Blasco was one of the the best players in the league this year, according to the Opta ratings. Is what they get it from. Um, so he was one of the few players that get cracked seven overall through the entire tournament. So Blasco, to me, and and you can see, you know, just the eye test watching him. Uh, Blasco's got talent. He's got flair to him. Um, maybe it's not as much as a Bustos, but I think this guy is a this guy is a superstar in the CPL, in my opinion, an underrated one as well. I think he had a full if he had a full season this year of 28 games. With the crazy front three of him, Diaz, and Bustos, he would have benefited greatly from it and probably would have been transferred out this offseason. Um, he could still do it because I think he still had a really good tournament. Um, scouts will see that in, in the game tape. Uh, he moves, moves the ball well. He, he creates well. He sees good spaces. Uh, he gets in the mostly good spaces. Um, I mean, he, he's a quality player. Uh, if he comes back another year and he does really well, then I, I could definitely see him moving on. I think he's 26 going on 27 though next year. So maybe the window might be closing a little bit in terms of, of age and, and which teams are going to want to pick him up next. But uh, I mean, I'm fine with him staying because I think he's, he's a quality piece to have. But yeah, I think he, for me, he's the player that, uh, that I think was like kind of under the radar because of the boost. Those and even Diaz, he, he did really well. So I guess that kind of moves us on from, from Pacific to the other team that made the second stage, but 
couldn't quite squeak into the final, and that's Cavalry. And after after such a successful year number one, they you know still look like a top class team, but maybe it's the lack of home field, maybe it's the weird tournament format. I don't know what it is, but it felt like a little bit of that magic was gone. So I guess overall thoughts on, you know, obviously some really good individual pieces and some quality results, but, you know, does the does the Tommy Wilden Jr. model still work? Is it is going back to, you know, home and away matches next season going to be a huge boost for them? What are your your thoughts? How do you evaluate Cavalry's performance? Because I don't know, it was it was very mixed, at least in my view. I had a hard time pinning it down. Yeah, I think Cavalry... They just didn't have that offensive flair this year. I think they really missed Boucher. They never really got a player that was offensive in the midfield that can create to replace them. Um, Camargo, uh, he's got talent, but he's injury prone. You could say that now. The guy played, what, one game this year in the tournament and then got injured, and then we missed him the rest of the tournament. Um, Pasquati definitely had the sophomore slump hit, hit him hard this year. Um, he just looked snake bitten the whole time. Um, then gets injured at the end. I think injuries cost them a lot toward the end. Um, again, that kind of happens when you play like a rough style like they play. You're bound to get hurt. Plus, the, that amount of games in that short amount of time. Um, you know, I think, uh, trying to think back, I think Dom Zader did fine. But I, it was just like, okay. Um, Trafford was better. It was the best defense defender for them, to be honest. Um, I think, uh, yeah, they just, I think they, what really hurt was not having, uh, Luca, Richard Luca on the team, which is one of the guys they signed an international, didn't make it over before COVID, uh, hit us, um, couldn't get him in. Um, he was somebody that I was really looking forward to. I think Kurt Larson there, uh, when he was signed was saying, this guy could be like a Tristan Borges almost for cavalry. So watch out, you know, he's a great winger and, you know, I was excited to see that, um, from the little bit of a highlights that I caught about him, you know, he's got some good qualities to him, good offensive qualities, good, a little bit of flair there. Uh, another one was Escalante. I think they really missed. Um, I mean, they had a lot of rough circumstances. They really overcame a lot. I think Haber looks like a, a, a man that was just redeemed this year. Uh, I think he did a lot better this year than with PFC last year. Um, he seemed free this year. Um, he, he can, he didn't look like he had the weight of the world on his shoulders anymore, and I think that's a good thing. Uh, I think the best thing for his career now is to stay at least another year, have another full season, and see what happens. Because, um, I mean, that's a good team. I think Jordan Brown did really well this year. Um, uh, Farsi, obviously, was fantastic for them. But I just felt like offensively it, it wasn't there. And I don't know. I mean, you can say they don't show up for big games, but I feel like that's false because of what they did in the Canadian Championship last year. So it's just they're just a weird team to peg. Um, I don't know. I, I really don't know what it is, why they can never win a championship in the CPL. Cause I mean, on paper, they should have won last year. Um, this year injuries, you can say cost them uh, at the end. And it was just, it was such a weird way that they went out this year. They never really looked maybe some portions at the end of the first round, but they never really looked, nobody really looked like they were going to run away with the title this year. It just sort of happened. Um, but I think for Cavalry, it was just there's such a weird team to really peg because I think other outside of not having that offensive click in the transition from midfield to offense and getting the goals, um, injuries really did them in. But it was just another thing that was just weird that they just didn't go far. 
you talk about earlier, like someone, I just, Jimmy Brennan, we were talking about motivating his players. I mean, on the opposite end of the spectrum, we don't have to question Tommy Wielden Jr.'s credentials. I think, well, Sam and I have been a big, you know, we've been loving what he's done with Calvary. His work is, he's just a great guy to talk to, I think, amongst league managers. And it's almost interesting with when you have a manager like that, is that you see players come out of, nowhere to to really perform it's not a it's cavalry is definitely not a team where stars reign obviously we saw that last year you look at guys that are getting the most attention zator got a call up to the national team when he was playing right back and you look at this year they're two of their best players ironically are nathan mavilla who's playing left back and mo farsi who was playing right back in their three five two so call it the system call it whatever they just te- seem to get the most out of all players do you think that makes a huge difference and is that is that something that could keep them afloat in year three and keep them at the top three, top two of the the league if they make sure they bring in the right depth and the right signings and bring back Escalante and some of those guys that weren't able to make it? Yeah, I think if they get if they have an offensive like, like they're not that far from being contenders again. I think they are still contenders. The reason why they didn't win is because they didn't have that offense, they have that that click, that spark, that fire from the from the midfield transition offense. Um, we speak about the wingers there and, and Tommy loves his wingers clearly because they, they're always they're always big in plays like they were last year like they were this year um, they're not I mean if they had Luca and they had Escalante I think they would have been farther in this tournament um, and, and not so many injuries they would have been farther in this tournament um, there's just so many good pieces on that team I mean look at the roster and the credentials of a lot of these players resumes and this is a very good team and they have a very good coaching system Tommy's a very good coach he's another one of those coaches where you're like, okay, you know, how long how long do we have him in the league before he goes on to coach some results? Um, you know, I, him and Smirniotis, I think, are the first two coaches I think will leave the league to go to a bigger club. Um, they know they're, they're top quality coaches. They get the best out of their squad. Um, you know, I think Tommy is the reigning coach of the year still, and he deserves it for what he did last year. This year, they were just, you know, there's there's just there's just bad circumstances. Um, at the end, that just cost them. But I, I think this team is still a contender. I think if they keep they get to get in those two pieces they missed out on this year, um, for because of COVID, they'll for sure have it. But again, they they're just they need to get a good number ten in there almost to that, a good guy that can distribute that ball really well, like Boucher uh, would. Because I mean, you can't can't rely on Camargo as much as I want to say you can. You can't because the guy's proven to be injury prone the last two seasons. So. I guess that leaves us with the finalists, and I don't know how much we want to talk about the finalists, but maybe we can we can talk about a bit about Halifax and then leave leave, leave Forge for for the last one. But I guess because you did mention Halifax earlier, Stephen Hart, when we were talking awards, but maybe a, a, aside the fact that they made the final, and because you know in a short tournament, results vary. One 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 result goes one way, all of a sudden the table completely changes, but. What did you see from Halifax this year that if you're looking into next year, like, okay, I think that's why they can contend, or do you think this was maybe just a flash in the pan? Uh, no, I think they had a really good system this year. Um, Stephen Hart's a very good coach. Um, the guy's got experience from all over the place. Uh, what he did, he did really well building this team up from year one versus year two. Um, very good. I mean, the team's very good. The, the problem will be, you know, trying to keep all those guys. Bubakar Sissoko, was really underrated, really, really talented player. Um, he beat Luis Belongo yet 100% 10 out of 10 every single time in terms of a starting spot and not starting 11 every single day of the week. Um, 
he's got he's got qualities to him. How long do you keep him? Does he go this offseason? He was trialing there with uh, last winter there with the White Caps, right? Um, kind of shocked he didn't really get a sign, similar to Didage. Um, but I mean, other than that, I think uh, you know how long does he stay in the league? How long do you get to keep Akeem Garcia? Uh, Joel Morelli did fantastic. Don't forget they didn't have Eric Santos, who is that Brazilian center back they signed this past offseason. They couldn't bring him in because of COVID. So that's scary because they have yeah. two already good center backs in Shala and Griffard. So or Griffard. So I mean, and then Restrepo did really well, and Nassau did really well on the wings. Uh, the Carlos did really well. I mean, this is a team. Championship teams, yes, they have their stars, but um, I go back to former Washington Capitals coach Barry Trotz, what he would always say is, in order to win, every every player on the team has to pull on that rope. You can't have bystanders. You can't have people just there just to be there. Everybody's going to pull on that rope. Everyone's going to do their job. Halifax did that, and that's why they went to the finals. Everybody did their job. Unfortunately, went to the finals. I don't know if it was just because of the you know how big of a game that last game was, the finals, that maybe they kind of broke under pressure. At the same time, they're playing a very experienced team that just knows how to win. They just they have a formula to winning. So, I mean, it is what it is. Halifax, I think, did better than what a lot of people, including them, uh, if you're reading Stephen Hart, what he said in preseason, uh, he didn't put too much stock in this year's team. So they went pretty far. They did uh, did a lot next season. If they can keep everybody together next season, they're for sure contenders in my books. So to go a little bit like uh... – counter strategy almost because uh you know i think we could wax poetically all day about the the quality that forge possesses if you're those other seven teams in the league what are you looking at next year and going okay that's that's what we need to try to exploit this is what we can you know expose and forge how can we take them down are there any chinks in the armor are there any cracks or is it uh or or is it going to be really challenging for another team to try to get up to that level next year um, I think Halifax is almost there. Uh, they got really good pieces. Um, I, I don't really know if depth's the issue there. I think they have good depth there. I think, um, Cavalry, like I said, I think if they just get that offensive flair. I think they're there. Um, York nine, if they can figure stuff out there, get a really good, uh, a proven goal scorer, like a guy that's bagged more than three goals in the last three seasons per year. Um, same thing with Valor. I mean, let's be honest. We, I didn't expect much from Ricky or Richie or uh, Hundel there for scoring goals because they didn't score double digits in the last three seasons. You can't expect them to score double digits in a year like this year um, or to be on pace to do that. So I think just a lot of teams, you know, have PFC, they're almost there. I think it, really the biggest thing that holds them back, I think a little bit would be experience and I think if they can get one or two more really good players in this team and keep Bustos, they're there. So there's a lot of teams that are almost there. They just need a, a, a something, a piece or two, then they'll be at that level. But then at that point, when you have the players, you got the pieces you need, I think it's just you got to have that mental mentality, the winner's mentality where you, everybody's got to be a winner. Everybody's going to pull in that rope because, I mean, that's why Forge wins is because everybody's got a job. Nobody steps out of line from that job. Everyone plays their job really well. And and that's how that's why they win. I mean, winners are really good at winning, and that Forge is really good at winning. And and you know, I think what will help other teams is if they lose Becker and they can't get someone in. I was thinking about this the other day. If they lose Becker, who do you replace them? 
Um, the first thing that first name comes to mind is Will Johnson because he's not playing this year. Um, 33, 34 years old next year. Um, at this point, he might just say, okay, I want a job and then playing soccer still. I'll go to the CPL then. Phil's a really good team, bro. At the same time, we got to contend now with Mo Babalui over there, who, to be honest with you, if he had a full season next season, he's going to be an MVP candidate for sure, hands down. Um, you know, we got Crutzen, who's fantastic. Edgar is fantastic. I mean, this team, this team is just, if every team out there could be like Forge FC, this team would be, this league would be fantastic to watch. Um, but there's three or four teams that are a piece or two away, and they're at that level. I really believe that. But again, it, you can have the pieces. It's, you got to have the mentality with it too. And they got swagger. They got mentality forge, and that's why they're winners. I think. I think part of it too is you can. I guess you could look at this short island games tournament from both sides. Like in one sense, you can say, okay, maybe Halifax outperformed because it was a short format. But I also think when it came down to the second stage in the finals. It was more a team like Forge who'd already had the experience, already had the confidence. They were ready. Whereas I think teams like Pacific, Halifax, York, even Cavalry with some injuries and some, you know, some little things they were looking to fix, having that full season, you know, maybe provides them that greater set of experience to then when they have to face a Forge in a final, maybe they're a little more ready for it. So I'm I'm hoping that it gives some of those second tier teams next year, more of an opportunity to build up and, and really be ready for the challenge that Forge is going to pose when, you know, eventually they meet in a, they meet in a final. Cause it feels like Forge is going to be there next year already without, but yeah, I mean, losing players, that's always the big, the big question mark, right? You never, you never know whether or not you're going to be able to replace them or who's going to leave what that's going to look like. Yeah, no, they're the measuring stick for sure. I guess now we're, we're, we're nearing the, the end here. And uh, yeah, we'd love to, to thank you for your time so far. It's been very generous and we appreciate just going through all the teams and your, your wealth of knowledge. But I guess kind of the last few things we want to talk about transfers. And I guess we kind of want to talk outgoing transfers because that was a huge topic last year, but also ingoing transfers. So maybe we should start with ingoing. I mean, we forget sometimes that the agreement with 21st club exists even because it, it almost went under the radar. You forget like, Oh, it happens. And then you realize some of these guys we talk about being quality. I mean, especially some of the young, the young, young guys, they came through this 21st club partnership and mm-hmm. clearly these players can play. I don't know how they're convincing some of them to, to come to the CPL. And I think that's a great, if you're the CPL, you're like, if we can convince players like this to come to our league, that shows the kind of quality that, that they've got and that they can, if they surround them with Canadians, they can obviously, cause they've got a Canadian mandate. We all know that six players, six Canadians on at a time, U 21 minutes, great rules. Honestly, we were saying with Sam, they should expand the rules. They should have U 23 quotas, U 19 quotas, just make more quotas. So you have more Canadians, but that's a whole other story. But obviously when the internationals around the Canadians are good, that improves the quality. So, I mean, if you're the CPL, how important has that 21st club partnership been to surround these Canadians? Because we all know there's good Canadians out there, but when guys like on, on Halifax, bringing in a guy like Joe Almorelli was tearing up the Estonian league. And you look at, uh, at Forge, I mean, they bring in someone like Paolo Sabak, immense quality. You're just like, how did, how did this guy come? And he's just a really, really good player. And you go across the board, each team seemed to bring in one or two guys. And it was scary because each team was like, oh, we had a lot more guys lined up that we couldn't get. How big is that agreement going to be going into the offseason? 
Yeah, I think there's, you know, uh, I, I hear mixed reactions from people both inside and outside of um, the CPL bubble. Um, people that are behind the scenes and people who are fans. And, um, you know, I, I, I think it's a good idea to have something like that, especially for a league like the CPL startup league. We're going to year three, um, especially with the pandemic now. You know, every dollar counts, every penny counts. And, you know, you can't afford to send people over to go to Europe and scout. You know, we're not Manchester City. Um, none of these clubs have a fraction of the budget that they have in terms of the scouting. So you gotta you gotta find good ways to still scout for little to no cost. I think Twenty First Club is that way to do it, where it's like this database. You go through it um, almost like Southampton's black box, where you got all, all these players in there. You just watch tapes from. They got everything in there you need, and then you just make your offer. So I think um, I think Twenty First Club is a good idea. Um, I know that teams sometimes they're capped or whatever in terms of what they have to do with that. But um, uh, with that, I mean, I think, uh, I think it's a good idea. I think it brought, like you mentioned, I mean, we needed better international talent from last year. And I think we got that this year because of the 21st club deal. So, you know, you mentioned some of those great names about um, being one of them, I think did come in through the 21st club system. So, I mean, there's going to be more great quality content coming in. You need good internationals in order for this league to, to produce good Canadians. You just need that because you need those professionals that come in and have a quality. And then you got to have the Canadians kids coming in that see this quality on a daily basis, train with this quality on a daily basis. That's what makes them better. Um, so it, it's so vital that we have, especially this early in the league where we're trying to pump up Canadians for the national team as soon as we can, because the next world cup and that's going to be here that we're for sure in probably is in six years. Um, that's kind of a tight window to try and produce enough good depth quality from the CPL that can go in and play for the national team there. So, I mean, the, the players that are that are going to be on that roster that you're going to want to fill those roles right now are probably between the ages of 16 and 20. So those are the guys we need to bring in the league and we got to get developed. And in order to do that, we need to bring in high quality uh, or as high quality as we can internationals. I think a player like Akuna, if every team can have one or two of those players, then we're doing some great work. Um, you know, there's so many restrictions, but I think the biggest plus of being in Canada is that we're in Canada, uh, especially right now with COVID. We, you know, that's a good selling point for players. Listen, come here. We're, we're one of the best countries in terms of our COVID numbers. Um, great quality of living. Uh, the people are nice. The weather where you go in the summertime is always very nice. Um, I mean, you know, the, the, there's, there's support here. Um, there's great, uh, great quality in the league here, underrated quality. And another big thing is, and, and I think this is something that we I don't think we really touched on that, that media pro did really well was they're got the CPL games in all these different markets. I think if we're in India, we're in U S um, France and so two or say three the final was in over like 130 countries or something like that. Something like that. Yeah. Or over 135 million people can watch this game or something. So I mean that's that's huge because now you got more eyes watching these these games, which is something that you can use not only to sell advertisers on, especially local advertisers, um, broadcasters on, but now also players, especially international quality players. Who yes, maybe they would take more money than any other player in the CPL. Maybe the salary cap is what their wage would be, but they'll say, you know what, I'll waive it. I'll be coming in at a cheaper price if it means in a year or two I'll go play with a bigger club in Europe. 
that's what CPL needs to benefit from because let's be honest here. I think Canada, we're so fortunate and so lucky to have the system, to have the opportunities that we have right now. Uh, I think our league is really attractive for players. And I think it could be right up there with Mexico and U.S. in terms of having that attractiveness to come here. It's good quality. Plus, they're going to get seen and go elsewhere. I think you just look after year one, how many players went to Europe, how many young players got really good transfers, or just Emilio Estevez, um, you know, a few other players that I'm blanking on right now. But, you know, there's going to be more coming this winter and the winter after that and the winter after that and the winter after that. So that's the big part of bringing these international players. Um, it's not really the money. Um, it's the, the lifestyle, the easy living, the good living in Canada and being able to be seen all around the world. Well, I guess I'll, I'll pass it over to Sam in a sec. I just, yeah, it was interesting because I remember when the 21st club agreement came out, a lot of people weren't a fan, but I think it's good to have as a database because obviously a team can go sign whoever the heck they want. Like, you don't, there's no restrictions. You can, if you can find a way to fit in your seven internationals, I think as long as there's a limit, it's great. And I think the one thing that was surprising to me is because watching MLS, at first, you kind of got these moments where it's like, oh my God, like they're signing a guy from Boca Juniors, they're signing a guy from Juventus, they're signing some big clubs. But now in MLS, you're kind of used to it. But CPL in the second year, you see the offseason, you're like, oh wait, they're signing a guy from Corinthians, they're signing a guy from Ghent in Belgium, you're signing a guy from Liga MX. Those are big leagues. And mm-hmm. yeah, as long as, they, like you said, just bring up the quality. That's just kind of yeah, the point I wanted to make. If you're CPL in year two, you're signing those guys. I think they're on the right track. But I'll, I'll just pass it over to Sam. Well, yeah, so we've we've alluded it, to it a lot and kind of going from bringing guys in to, you know, as you kind of mentioned, guys come in and play a couple of years. And ultimately, the idea for a lot of these younger players is to, you know, move on out at some point to bigger and better things. We talked about Becker. We talked about Farsi. We talked about Bustos. I guess my question, and it's a question that every club and every league is probably asking itself right now, is how does... COVID, how do different seasons, how do all these new factors we have that have come into play, how does that affect transfer policy? Like, do you anticipate, are we going to see a lot less movement this off season because of all those circumstances? Are we going to see more, you know, does that, does that hurt clubs if, you know, you're not getting as much for a player like Farsi that you would have eight, 10 months ago you know, uh, notwithstanding his performances, but just kind of based on market fluctuations. So that's going to be an interesting one to look at and watch. Um, the one I think that impacts would be the Canadians. Um, I say that because if you sell your Canadians, you need to replace them probably with other Canadians. Here's the problem though, is if you're not able to sign Canadians that are already playing professionally in Europe, you're going to sign the younger Canadians that because of COVID didn't probably play at all this year in 2020. Um, they just trained in their backyard or trained in their house. Maybe they didn't train at all. I mean, it's it really this year with COVID really hurts. I think the young Canadians developing Canadians. So how do you really appropriately evaluate them? Um, because what they did to what they did last year, which will be two years come next season won't mean anything if they spent 2020 on the couch gaming and eating chips or working out at the gym or working out in their apartment or basement, whatever. It's not the same as match fitness and not having match fitness for a whole calendar year. Um, you're going to lose a step, I think, and you're going to have to work even harder to regain it 
and who knows, you know, the, the, sometimes life situations can get in the way too. You know, you have a day job, you might not have that time to appropriately prepare as a professional um, to get ready if you're those young Canadians. So, I mean, that's the thing I, I worry about the most is, you know, I'm fine selling players, you know, like a Bustos, a Becker, but at the end of the day, it's like for Canadians specifically, who are you going to sign if these guys didn't play in 2020 or if they played very small minutes in 2020 and then the winter comes, they didn't go anywhere and train winter, winter time. You know, if you're a Winnipeg player and you didn't play in the summertime, winter time, you're not playing. You're going to be playing indoor because it's like minus 40 out there with seven feet of snow. You're not going to go kick a ball out there. No, not a chance. Um, so, I mean, it, that's the tough part that's really going to hurt because of COVID. It's really going to hurt uh, in 2021. Hopefully we can get back to some phase in 2021. I know teams, at least in Winnipeg locally here, uh, a lot of these teams are coming back and practicing at least, not necessarily playing, but practicing. I mean, that's better than nothing, but it's still not where we want it to be and need it to be for next season's quality. Uh, the international players, I think um, we can replace them with other internationals that have, that have been playing in some cases. Um, the window, I think, to bring them in will have to be a little bit of a bigger uh, turnaround, though, because you need to get them in. You need to make sure they're quarantined for 14 days. You know, We're starting the second wave now. Depending on how long this will last, it could last until maybe January. There's going to probably be a third wave by the springtime. So, I mean, it's going to be really tough this winter. I think this is going to be the hardest one. Um, I, I do think the attractiveness of getting a Canadian player, though, if you're a team buying from us, is that they're coming from a safe country for the most part. Um, and, and if you're a player coming in, you're going to probably want to come to a safe country you know, you want to play, you need the player for the, for, you know, to eat, to get money. Uh, this is your job. So if you had the play right now and you look at the numbers of COVID, if that is a worry for you and your family, Canada is a great place to come. Uh, the measures we've done everywhere has been absolutely fantastic. Uh, the measures the league has taken has absolutely been fantastic. Clearly we have no cases for the whole tournament. Um, props to them and the, and the players for doing their part. I mean, that's huge. Uh, talking to the players, I, I feel bad for the players having the quarantine inside their apartments for 14 days before even leaving, going there and going from a training field to the hotel room of the training field for 40 days. That sucks mentally. Um, so, I mean, props to them. But uh, again, it's I think it, getting players out and getting players in international will be fine. The biggest worry for me is, is getting the young Canadians who maybe didn't get a chance to play this year. Yeah. So, so to kind of follow that up, uh, a final one for me, and maybe to try to kind of end it on a positive note. Alex and I are, you know, always always touting the the Canadian youth development, seeing those guys from seventeen to twenty one, twenty two, kind of get their opportunity. And it still seems like in Canada overall, it's been a bit of an issue getting those guys top quality competitive minutes like there's a bit of a void between the top professional levels and youth levels and or you know lower developmental teams but if we're looking at all eight teams in the cpl are there a few programs that kind of stand out to you as ones that are doing a really good job at least with the resources they have and what they're able to do kind of bringing those young guys up and and, and developing them yeah, I think PFC has uh, done really well with their uh, program there on the islands that they started, um, but it's still very new. Uh, Foothills, obviously, is top end. Um, Sigma, top end. Um, 
I'm excited to see what FC Manitoba has in the cards now that they have Mikhail Pellucci as player coach there. Um, they, from what I've read up recently, you know, they have a high expectations of what they want to do. They want to develop good you know, local Manitoban talent and get them to the, not even the CPL, but even higher, MLS, Europe. So, I mean, props to them for trying to be that that great feeder system. They have a really good system set up here as well. So um, those are the ones for me off the top of my head I can think of that I would really outline as as good academy systems that I'm excited to see develop uh, over the course of this next year or so or, and beyond. Alex, any any final thoughts, questions, queries from yourself? I think, yeah, I think that pretty much covers uh, most of it for now. I think that's a pretty, pretty, pretty good wrap up of the uh, the Island Games and looking forward to, to the CPL. I think it's a unique off season. I think we're going to see some good dominoes fall soon. I mean, I'm curious, for example, Jeff Paulus mentioned that Edmonton's going to have uh, an agreement with the German team. So that's something to look forward to, that potential agreement. Also, other transfers of players abroad, loans of player abroad. Are there going to be any tournaments like a, a winter classic, people have said, fall classic? Are we going to see all that? That would be great. So just, yeah, keep an eye on the league. I think uh, the big key if you're the league right now is to keep interest because they did a great job at keeping interest up in the off season, But then when COVID hit and then they were kind of silent about the restart of the league and even the hardcore fans were starting to get really mad. They're going to have to be very careful for, for in a long, if it's up to seven months as is the case or six, five months or whatever it is, they need to keep engagement high because when the league's on, as we've seen now in the Island games, lots of people are willing to watch it. Lots of new people are willing to give it a chance. It's all just about engagement and the, yeah, I mean, courtesy. I mean, you've been doing a great job at that on your end, doing one one step at a time. So we, we thank you for, for taking the time to to join us. And I guess before before we, we wrap this up, just shout out where you're working, if there's any projects uh, you're working on that you want to highlight. Yeah, I mean, I got some, I got uh, quite a few uh, videos here coming out soon. Um, um, I'm kind of dabbling and possibly doing a, a what if the CPLs in FIFA 21 video. As well as uh, 10 off the year, November to December, I'll be doing uh, weekly videos uh, reviewing each individual team um, while their season went and what's going to come in the off season. So I'm really excited to share that um, with with the with people out there. So uh, you can find me on Twitter, uh, YouTube, Facebook at AFC Curtis uh, on um, um, on YouTube at AFC Curtis. And uh, you know, if you haven't seen my content and you're a fan of CPL, I definitely recommend checking it out. Um, I got tons of great stuff. I got um, really good interview, um, hopefully coming out soon about life in the bubble with somebody. And um, yeah, um, just pumping up the CPL content here this winter. It's going to be a long winter. Let's just oh, say yeah. a long and winter. So, as if winters in Canada weren't already long enough. <laughs> I know. <laughs> yeah, thank, but, uh, thank you I want to so thank much you guys. Yeah. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, thank for you for having me. Pleasure. Pleasure. Yeah, I would just for the for the listener out there, if you haven't checked out Curtis's videos, I think one of the things I enjoy the most about them is it's a it's a great mix of it's totally accessible for someone who knows very little about CPL. And yet at the same time, if you're if you're into the league, if you're watching all the matches, you really enjoy it already, there's there's something to be gained there for you too. So I think it does a great job of kind of balancing 
the new the CPL noob and the CPL expert everyone can enjoy the videos and so I definitely encourage you to to check them out and yeah sorry for cutting you off or your thank you there but yeah really from us it was just a pleasure having you on for being so generous with your time so thanks again thank you for having me and uh yeah no thank you I, you know it, it's really good from anybody from the new people all the way to the Kurt Larson's of the world to, uh, to, to watch the videos so <laughs> but thank you guys for having me I really appreciate it love talking to CPL we have to do it again sometime yeah sounds Absolutely. good can't wait